0: CHAPTER Thirteen Bon. The moment the iron grip of the librarian closed around his arm, John was flooded with a sense of resignation. This was it. There was no escaping now. Surrounded, he was escorted to one of the dark blue sedans. The convoy roared to life, a snake of steel and chrome winding its way through the cobblestone streets of Cologne. Their destination soon loomed ahead, a large six-level red brick structure monolithic in its presence against the cityscape. The building was as cold and impersonal as the librarians, its starkness heightened by the looming presence of the Colner Dom Cathedral nearby. Inside the police station, the warm breeze of the outside air was replaced by a sense of stifled order, the air heavy with the hum of activity and the underlying anxiety of law enforcement. The lobby was filled with uniformed personnel, their stern faces a mirror of the situation at hand. Suddenly, amidst the sea of strangers, a familiar face appeared. "'Dad!' Mark exclaimed, relief flooding his voice as he hurriedly made his way over. His brow furrowed with concern and frustration. He studied his father's face. "'Are you okay? What were you thinking, running off like that?' Mark's words cut through the fog that had been clouding John's mind. The pieces of the puzzle started to fall into place. He remembered leaving Mark at the Citadel after he discovered Simon's involvement. He wasn't supposed to be in Cologne at all. The bewilderment on John's face was not lost on Mark, who quickly turned his attention to the librarian who was in the lead. ''Thanks for the assist. I'll take it from here.'' His voice was firm, resolute. The man responded with a cold stare. ''Just make sure he stays out of trouble.'' With that, the librarians retreated, leaving father and son in the lobby. Mark gently ushered John towards the door, guiding him out onto the street where a small European rental car awaited them, parked inconspicuously adjacent to the police station. The slamming of car doors echoed in the still air of the sheltered street, a loud exclamation that seemed to amplify the tension between John and Mark. Mark buried himself in the logbook of the rental car, the steady scratch of his pen a stark contrast to the heavy silence. John cleared his throat, struggling to find the words to make sense of his actions. "'Mark, I,' he began, but he was cut off by his son's sharp interruption. Save it, Dad. All you had to do was trust me, but no, once again you think you're the smartest guy in the room. Mark's words stung more than he cared to admit. The silence that followed was unbearable, the air heavy with unspoken words and strained emotions. Mark didn't stop there. It's just lucky that the Ministry flagged your position, and Simon paged me when he did. I was on my way to Bonn and had only stopped in Cologne to get gas. I had exactly zero idea where you were. The mention of Simon's name caught John's attention. His initial mistrust and scepticism towards the man was now a cause for embarrassment. He found himself reconsidering his judgment. With a deep swallow, John managed to find his voice again. You are right, Mark. I was wrong for leaving you at the Citadel. And as for Simon, I trust your judgment. I have to. Without you, I never would have made it this far." His words were sincere, filled with a humble acknowledgement of his mistakes. The tension in the car was palpable as Mark fired up the engine, his gaze fixed on the road ahead. Suddenly, John opened the car door and stepped out. Dad, are you serious? Mark's exasperation echoed in the vehicle. Before Mark could finish his sentence, John had hopped into the back seat, flicking the child lock on the door and wearing a mischievous grin. That should do the trick, he declared, attempting to suppress his own laughter. His typical dad joke seemed to do the trick, as Mark couldn't help but crack a smile. He shook his head, looking at John in the rearview mirror. God, you're annoying, he grumbled, trying and failing to suppress his amusement. The drive to Bonn was a quiet one, the tension between John and Mark slowly dissipating with each passing kilometre. As they reached the outskirts of the city, they were met with a stark contrast to the bustling streets of Cologne. Bonn was a town at the end of the line, a place falling into slow dilapidation. There were no grand bridges or impressive industries, no cultural splendour to speak of. Also, the presence of the ministry seemed faded, their propaganda relegated to old posters and billboards that were as neglected as the town itself. It was a shell of a place, forgotten by time and change, Their destination was a small hotel by the Rhine, known as Baden. The establishment looked as though it hadn't seen visitors in months, its hosts shocked but welcoming at the sight of their guests. It was a quiet place, matching the overall feeling of the city. After settling into their respective rooms, they finally decided to venture down to the hotel's dining area for dinner. The clock on the wall read six o'clock as they made their way down, the setting sun casting long shadows through the windows. The dining area was empty, save for a few sorry-looking locals propped up at the bar. As they took a seat in the near silent room, John and Mark shared a glance. It was going to be a long night in the forgotten town of Bonn. Amidst the aroma of warm pies and mashed potatoes, John and Mark sat huddled together, deep in a discussion. Mark asked for the photo, one John had been carrying in his diary, a relic from Robert's past. In the image, Robert and his unit buddies were all smiles, posing before a quaint German cottage, its green hedges crawling up the walls, simple planter boxes punctuating each windowsill. Mark studied the image closely. This place could literally be any building here, he sighed, feeling deflated. John reached out and took back the photo, scanning it once more. His eyes stopped at the tree in the coat of arms near the door. What about this? he pointed out, Hope colouring his voice. Mark shrugged. It's not like I can just look it up in a database. John, unfazed by Mark's scepticism, decided on another course of action. Time to go to a secondary source, he declared, pushing his chair back with a clatter that echoed in the silent room. He made his way to the bar, photo in hand, and sought help from the young bartender. The man scanned the image but shrugged apologetically. No, sorry, can't say I have. John sighed heavily, placing the photo on the bar. Just as he was about to give up, an older man sitting next to him spoke up. Give us a look. With nothing to lose, John handed him the photo. The old man scrutinised the image before a spark of recognition flashed in his eyes. Now that's a watering hole I have not seen in a long time, he reminisced, finishing off his stein. John perked up. Wait, you visited this place. Religiously until the old owner went bankrupt, the old man revealed. It's called the Zur Lindenwirtin, a pub, not a fifteen-minute walk from here. A wave of relief washed over John. Brilliant, he said. Would anybody be there? The old man shrugged. I think his son Arnold still lives there, doesn't do anything with the property. So you might want to knock real hard on the door when you get there. Chapter 14. The Family Tree After speaking with the old man... John and Mark decided to finish off their meals and set off for the old pub before darkness fell that evening. As they navigated the neglected streets of Bonn, sidestepping piles of rubbish and large potholes, the world around them felt abandoned. How could a city fall so far from grace, and just how much of it was the fault of the brutal line of division that flowed through the center of town? Following the old man's directions, they found themselves standing in front of a building that matched the one in the photo. Though its windows were boarded up and the hedges overgrown, it held the same familiar charm. Brushing aside the vegetation near the entrance, Mark found the marker, a metal and wooden coat of arms bearing a tree. This is the place, Mark announced. John approached the door, wrapping his knuckles against the wood. Hello, he called, listening for any response. When none came, he knocked again, louder this time. Hello, I'm looking for an Arnold. After a moment they heard the faint sound of footsteps descending from the second floor. A series of locks clicked open, and a wary face appeared in the gap of the slightly ajar door. "'I'm Arnold. What do you want?' John took a breath, choosing his words carefully. "'I was hoping you might be able to answer some questions about the history of this place.' Arnold's eyes narrowed. "'Look, old man, this isn't a museum. It's not even a pub anymore. Why don't you just leave me alone?' but as he moved to close the door, John's boot wedged it open. "'Arnold!' John implored. "'I don't want to waste your time. "'Could you at least tell me where your father lives? "'It's really important that I get some answers.' "'Arnold paused. "'That's going to be impossible. "'He died four years ago.' "'John froze, the news hitting him like a jolt. "'Arnold studied him. "'Did you know him?' John shook his head. "'No, but he might have known my father.' He withdrew his boot from the door, allowing it to close. But after a moment, the locks clicked once again, and the door opened wider. Arnold then gestured for them to come inside. The trio proceeded into the main hall of the house and followed Arnold up a creaking staircase to the living quarters on the second floor. The home was a stark contrast to the mild evening, its interior cold and slightly damp. They stepped warily, mindful of the groaning steps that seemed to sag under their weight. As they reached the main area, the soft crackling of a roaring fire greeted them. Its warmth quickly dispelled the chill, wrapping the room in a welcoming heat. Arnold cleared a pair of chairs at the dining table, pushing aside empty whiskey bottles before dragging the seats over to the fire. The flames flickered off the worn fabric of a nearby armchair, beckoning them to sit. Under the fire's glow, Arnold's features came into sharper focus. He was thin, nearly skeletal with long blonde hair and an unkempt beard. His sunken eyes appeared haunted, and it was clear that he was older than Mark, likely in his late fifties. With a wave of his hand and a sarcastic tone, Arnold welcomed them. Welcome to my humble abode. John, ignoring the sarcasm, responded, As I said outside, my son Mark and I are hoping you could enlighten us on the history of this place. We were hoping to speak to your father, but I assume he may have passed on some of that knowledge to you. "'Arnold sank into his chair, a far-off look in his eyes. "'Depends on what you need to know.' "'Mark spoke up, eager to find a breakthrough in their investigation. "'Was your family in possession of this pub during the Great War? "'My grandfather might have been here,' Arnold chuckled, "'leaning over to retrieve another whiskey bottle from the floor. "'Shit, now that's a long time ago. "'But you're in luck. "'My family built this place back in the late 1800s, "'when it was still a part of Germany.' He took a long swig from the bottle. My dad was about fifteen when the Kaiser abdicated, and the provisional government sued for peace. Lucky thing too, he'd have been called up for sure if the Entente had decided to march on Berlin. John murmured in agreement. That is lucky. But don't get me wrong, Arnold continued. It was far from a picnic. With Bonn torn in two during the occupation, and then permanently divided after the walling project, my family faced a tough decision. "'Stay with the business in the occupied zone "'and renounce our German heritage, "'or abandon the pub and flee across the river.' "'Growing impatient, Mark interrupted. "'Is this going somewhere?' "'Do you want the history or not?' Arnold replied, "'holding up the whiskey bottle in offer. "'When Mark declined, he shrugged. "'Anyway, it's no mystery that we decided to stay. "'And yes, my dad did tell me about the soldiers "'who used to come here during the early days of the occupation. "'He said they were decent blokes.' Hope sparked in John's eyes. Any chance you remember any names? Dad never mentioned any, Arnold replied, taking another sip from the bottle. All he said was they'd go on patrol every few days into the Rhineland and then return here for a beer. Well, at least that is what they did until they stopped coming. They left, John questioned, leaning forward in anticipation. Arnold shook his head, a sombre expression on his face. Nah, They just never came back from patrol. John shared a meaningful look with Mark, his eyes reflecting the thoughts he didn't dare to voice. Mark objected instantly. Oh no, we are not crossing into Germany. This trip was about getting to Bonn, not breaching a hostile nation. John remained undeterred. What do you mean hostile? They walled themselves off to preserve the peace, remember? Who knows, it could be a utopia over there. Mark glanced towards Arnold debating whether to divulge the secret gnawing at him in front of this stranger. He finally turned back to his father. Look, all I'm saying is there's no way in. The only crossing was back at Cologne. Arnold coughed, drawing their attention. You can just do what everyone else does. John and Mark both turned to Arnold, exchanging confused glances as they waited for the punchline. Everyone else? John asked, his brow furrowed in thought. Arnold chuckled. Well, by everyone I mean the drug runners, the desperate and the destitute. Those poor bastards swim. Mark rose from his chair, his frustration finally boiling over. This is getting ridiculous. Thanks for the story, but it's getting late, and we don't want to get mugged on the way back. Dad, I'll be outside. Without waiting for a reply, he turned and left the room. John rose slowly and extended a hand towards Arnold. As they shook hands, he held on to Arnold's grasp, seeking answers. How did your father die? Arnold sighed, his gaze drifting to the fire. Bladder cancer. There's no welfare out here, especially not for non-citizens. We leveraged this place to the hilt, trying to get Dad the treatment he needed. But in the end, it just destroyed his legacy. John's eyes welled up with emotion, his thoughts whirling. And left you like this? Arnold withdrew his hand, turning away from John's sympathetic gaze. Shit just happens, I guess. With that, John left the room, leaving Arnold alone with his thoughts and the dying embers of the fire. Chapter 15 The Crossing Back in the quiet confines of their hotel rooms, John and Mark found themselves deep in thought. Each man was caught in the grip of a looming decision, like a chess player contemplating a risky move. The clues they had gathered so far were like breadcrumbs scattered on a forest floor leading them into the unknown. The question was, should they allow the trail to run cold, or muster the courage to follow these clues beyond the wall? In his room, Mark dialed his wife Elizabeth. The familiar voices of his wife and children filled the room, painting pictures of joy and laughter in the cabin back home. He listened to their tales of bushwalking adventures, shared stories around the campfire, and the delightful chaos of marshmallow cooking. He missed his family, missed being part of those little moments, but the voices on the other end filled his heart with joy. On the other side of the paper-thin wall, John sat alone in his room, his heart echoing the painful contrast of Mark's conversation. The muffled laughter seeping through the wall only served to amplify his loneliness. Yet again, he found himself pouring his heart out onto paper, crafting a letter filled with words he couldn't speak aloud. Once he was done, He carefully placed it in a plain envelope and sealed it, the taste of the adhesive bitter on his tongue. A heavy sigh escaped him as he closed his eyes, a silent prayer following the breath. Just then he heard the soft click of the phone being hung up and the hum of conversation from Mark's room ceased. It was then that John rose from his seat and ventured into the hallway. He rapped softly on Mark's door, waiting for his son to answer. The door creaked open revealing Mark, his face still lit with the afterglow of his conversation with his family. Dad, what is it? he asked. John steeled himself, his features set in a grim expression. Mark, I promised you that I would never run off on you again, he began. So that is why I am telling you now that I am going to make the crossing tonight. I don't expect you to come, but this is something I have to do. Mark was silent, watching his father as he continued. I know that it could be a complete dead end, but I have to try, and what's more is that I can't wait. My memory is getting worse with every sleep. I will make the crossing, get my fill, and be back before sunrise." The words hung in the air between them like a tangible weight, forcing Mark to grapple with the reality of their situation. He paused, struggling to find the right words, then slowly he lifted a hand and placed it on his father's shoulder. "'Dad, I cannot begin to know what you're going through. "'Your independence, your memory. "'It's all slipping away,' he said, his voice thick with emotion. "'But I do know that I promised you that we would do this together. "'That's how we started it, and that's how we'll finish it.' A small smile tugged at the corner of John's lips. He placed his hand over Mark's and gave it a grateful squeeze. "'Our journey awaits,' he said, the words sounding like a decree." the continuing of an epic tale. There was little time for preparations, yet the men were swift and efficient. They studied a local map of the area and decided that the best place to cross the river was at one of its narrowest points, near the Pariser Platz. According to the scale of the map, the swim would be about 400 metres and with a predictable current speed of roughly one to two kilometres per hour, they would need to steel themselves for at least a 12-minute swim. It was a daunting task but both men were determined. It was nine o'clock when the two men left the hotel. By this time, Bonn had transformed into a ghost town, its streets shrouded in darkness and devoid of any sign of life. They traversed the same dilapidated streets they had walked earlier, sticking to the shadows as they tried to avoid the occasional patrols of occupation law enforcement. While navigating through the deserted streets of Bonn, John's keen eyes landed on an object he had been searching for, An old public mailbox, worn down and rusted from years of exposure, stood like a silent sentry against the wall of a nearby post office building. Peeling away from Mark, he darted across the road to the mailbox. Unbeknownst to him, Mark had continued on their path, his focus on their destination. It wasn't until he had advanced several paces that he realised his father was no longer at his side. Twisting around, he saw John by the mailbox, rummaging through his backpack. A surge of frustration bubbled within him and he let out a hushed whisper, piercing the silent night. Dad, what on earth are you doing? Ignoring his son's exasperated question, John pulled out the plain envelope he had sealed earlier. With a swift motion, he slid it into the mailbox's slot, the metallic clang echoing faintly in the quiet. As he turned back to Mark, he hurriedly called out, I'm coming, I'm coming. He hastened his steps, quickly closing the distance between them. Shrouded by the veil of the night, the two men huddled on the riverbank, their hearts pounding a relentless rhythm in their chests. Dull moonlight danced upon the water's brown surface, intermittently revealing ominous silhouettes of passing boats with their glaring spotlights. Time was of the essence, and they knew they had to act. Nervous determination fueled their movements as they swiftly prepared their improvised flotation devices. Stripping down to their boxer shorts, they folded their clothes and shoes into the backpacks. Next, they took two garbage bags they had procured from the hotel and placed the backpacks inside. Finally, filling the bags with as much air as possible, they sealed them tight. The result was what looked like two black balls of trash, ugly but buoyant. Wading into the frigid, rippling waters, adrenaline surged through their veins like wildfire. The current was slow, as was expected, but it clawed at their legs, attempting to undermine their resolve. As the cold water lapped at their knees, they waited for the perfect moment to submerge, timing their entry with the next passing boats. The crossing initially went smoothly, both men making steady progress towards the distant shore. However, around eight minutes in and over halfway across, John's strokes began to falter, his pace reduced to a meandering paddle, and the threat of the next patrol boat loomed ominously as it moved into view. Mark could do little to assist, and John, using precious energy, silently gestured for him to push on. The voices of crewmen aboard the approaching boat were beginning to grow clearer, the probing spotlight scanning the murky water. John knew he wasn't going to make it. In a desperate bid to avoid detection, he pushed his bag towards the path of the incoming boat. Bereaved of his makeshift raft, John paddled frantically towards the shore. Simultaneously, the floating bundle of rubbish successfully caught the boat's attention, the spotlight fixating on the strange object. However, despite his heroics and just as the shore was within sight, reality set in. A crippling cramp seized John's body, the pain causing him to sink beneath the water's dark surface. As his bare feet encountered the slimy riverbed, he felt a sense of entrapment. Come on, you old bastard he thought to himself as he battled the cold and slimy bottom of the Rhine on last effort. But no matter the mental strength, no matter the stubborn will, John's body could not prevail. Suddenly a strong hand latched onto his shoulder, hoisting him back to the surface. It was Mark. He had abandoned his bag ashore and plunged into the river after his father, pulling him back to the shoreline. Upon reaching the bank, John spluttered and choked, gasping for breath Mark quickly manoeuvred him into the recovery position, trying to keep him calm. Dad, you got this, stay with me, he urged. After a violent bout of coughing, John managed to expel a final mouthful of water. In a stroke of good fortune, their commotion went unnoticed, thanks to the boat's chugging diesel engine, but Mark knew their luck would not hold. Grabbing the remaining bag and hoisting his father up, the two men stumbled into the undergrowth, the woodland hill looming before them. The climb was steep, but once John regained his breath, he found the solid terrain more familiar, even comforting. The dense, unkept undergrowth snapped and cracked as they pushed it aside on their ascent. Silently, unsure of what they might encounter, they pushed on towards their planned checkpoint. As they broke through the undergrowth, an elaborate medieval castle came into view, the Schloss Drachenberg. Its imposing, crumbling stone façade stood weathered but strong, and its gothic turrets pierced the darkness. The windows, like hollow eyes, stared blankly down at them, not a light to be seen. In this moonlit majesty, the castle breathed an air of old authority. Approaching the building from the south side entrance, they observed still no lights or signs of life. The pair navigated through the expansive courtyard and arrived at a set of grand wooden doors. Mark, convinced they were now alone, readied himself to shatter the lock with a single swift kick. However, he was interrupted by a stern glance from John. Still drenched from their river crossing, the two men, clad only in boxer briefs, locked eyes. Mark finally broke the silence. Get out of the way, Dad, urging his father to step aside. Instead, John swiftly twisted the handle and the massive door creaked open, its weight echoed in the silent courtyard. Slightly embarrassed, Mark pushed past his smirking father into the depths of the castle. Navigating the castle's vast halls without the aid of electric lighting or any lighting at all, for that matter, proved challenging. Let's find a bedroom, get you some clothes, and I can get changed too, Mark suggested. No way we are exploring Germany naked, John agreed, indicating they should venture upstairs. The deeper they delved into the castle the more apparent it became that the place hadn't been entirely abandoned since the occupation. Though dust and cobwebs hinted at neglect, there were also signs of recent structural repairs. The pair eventually discovered a bedroom, slowly moving into the room, the moonlight providing much-needed illumination. Mark began rummaging through their bag. He retrieved a towel to dry off before changing, then passing the same towel to John. Luckily for John, he was able to find a simple brown shirt and dark green pants in a trunk at the foot of the bed. They were a few sizes too large but better than nothing. Unfortunately there were no shoes, not even a pair of socks. Just as John closed the trunk they heard a noise, creaking wood flooring and the shifting of furniture. Silently they decided to investigate. A door at the far end of the hallway was now ajar, revealing a flickering light. Edging closer, they saw a small fire crackling in a grand stone fireplace. As they entered the room, they began calling out tentative hellos, insisting they meant no harm. Oh, what if they don't speak English? Mark whispered to John. John shrugged. It's pretty damn close, I'm sure they can work it out. Despite the lack of response, the room didn't feel abandoned, food scraps lay scattered around, and bottles of alcohol appeared to be half-finished. Confused, Mark suggested... Looks like we scared them off. Regardless, John stated, we shouldn't overstay our welcome. As they turned to leave, the silence shattered. Now, a voice commanded. In an instant, the light from the fire was extinguished and rough sacks were thrust over their heads. Next, the men's feet were kicked out from beneath them, sending them crashing onto the cold wooden floor below. Tie them up, the same voice ordered. As rough hands began to bind their wrists and ankles, John protested vehemently. What do you think you're doing? Take your hands off my son. Mark echoed his father's cries, but to no avail. Suddenly, they were hoisted over powerful shoulders and carried from the room. The sound of the door slamming echoed ominously through the castle's halls. You have been listening to part five of The Great Reset.